Good afternoon, everyone. So this afternoon, uh, I'm going to talk about the fourth and the last of the these groups of contemplations, uh, the fourth tetrad, which is the wisdom group. <clears throat> and um, these these are sometimes called uh, also the the Dhamma group. So, so in a way, we have been um, contemplating uh, the the factors of um, impermanence and and uh, suffering and um, non-self, which are explored in this group of teachings uh, throughout. But in this, as we get to the, the end of this, um, it, it becomes our primary focus. And we're really looking through the lens of, uh, of wisdom, of imperm- see, seeing impermanence in our experience. Now, I think I might have already mentioned that this is, you know, this is a short retreat, and really, we're really just getting an overview, it's kind of giving a map of practice um, for you to, for us all to, to work with and, and to discover and explore where we are and how we're working in our practice and give us some, some tools to, um, to continue and, and uh, uh, deepen. <clears throat> so, um, so I'm going to to read these four <coughs> verses. I'm going to t- talk most of all about the first, the first of the four. So one trains oneself. Focusing on impermanence, I breathe in. One trains oneself. Focusing on impermanence, I breathe out. One trains oneself. Focusing on fading away, I breathe in. One trains oneself, focusing on fading away, I breathe out. One trains oneself, focusing on cessation, I breathe in. One trains oneself, focusing on cessation, I breathe out. And one trains oneself, focusing on relinquishment, I breathe in. One trains oneself, focusing on relinquishment, I breathe out. So, um, yeah, fading away, just just in case you're worried, we don't kind of dissolve and disappear. <laughs> it's, these translations sometimes are, um, are less than perfect. Uh, and um, I know a lot of work has gone into finding the right words, but it's really the grasping that's fading away. Uh, yeah. So impermanence. Um, well, we we all know about impermanence, uh, and um, and some of us really have um, had had have experienced deep insight into the impermanence of 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 the body, of the mind, of 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 our experience. So we need to explore this and. And discover it deeply. 
it's transformative. We need to know it on a deeper level than intellectually. Um, we need to see it with our inner eye. When we practice meditation, we're, we're seeing impermanence with our inner eye. Uh, we, we look at the mind. We, look, we see how thoughts come and go. We, we discover how this, this mood, this dark funk that maybe I was in uh, around something, some story that was going around in my mind, and then, and then, you know, it's gone. Just, you know, it kind of just disappears. And in this Anapanasati practice, we, we discover impermanence in each breath. So just that, that deep um, knowing, sensing, feeling each breath, um, we feel even within a single in-breath, there's change. It, it's, it's got a texture, it's, it's, it, it's moving, it's flowing. Um, an in-breath, an out-breath, it's gone. The next one arises. So, um, so what, what we, what we explore, what we, uh, what our our meditation research brings us to look at, is that there's there's no phenomena at all with a separate, lasting individuality. And, and it's, this is not negative or positive. As, as Buddha Dasa talked about, it's nature. This is the way things are. And when we're, and when we're exploring Dhamma, we're exploring the nature of things. It's the law um, of how things are. So, so elements come together for a time um, because of certain conditions, and they're bound together uh, because of certain conditions, and then they disappear because of conditions. So, so we can think of anything, um, just kind of looking at the environment. Um, We look at a, a mountain, you know, and we think about mountains as something which are permanent. Well, they just have a much slower arc of change than we can take in through our senses, and so, so for us, they look they look permanent. But, but, um, but of, of course, they've come together through shifting tectonic plates and. Um, or maybe glacial movements, and then they're eroded over a long, long arc of time. And that, and when we go to mountains and we and we look at the um, the rock that's there, you know, we can see that that which is a mountain was once, you know, it, the sedimentary rock tells us the story that it was once the bottom of an ocean, right? Um, Zen master Dogen said. Uh, if you if you have if you do not know 
that mountains walk, you have not seen mountains. So, um, so it's the same with living beings. Conditions come together to create a living being. And, um, and we, we tend to you know, see a, a living being, a human being, or an animal as something that has its own separate existence. But it's, it's also a coming together of conditions. You know, and this, in, in talking about impermanence, I'm going to talk about them kind of sequentially, but um, impermanence or uh, anicca and, and um, unsatisfactoriness, suffering, uh, or dukkha, and <coughs> the selflessness of things, anatta, these are all really different aspects of um, of one truth, and and so um, so when ki- conditions come together to create a human being, or a dog, or a fish, um, so forces are continually acting on on a being um, and, uh, and, and changing it and so, so the, the wear and tear of, of a body um, the, uh, the genetic programming uh, of, our, of our bodies um, you know why, why is it that a dog will live you know maybe maximum 15 years you know it's so mysterious um uh, and human beings are, you know, genetically programmed to live, you know, what is it, three score and ten? But of course so many of us don't. Uh, so many die because of other conditions. So um, one of the ways that one of the metaphors or, or analogies maybe uh, to this, this impermanence is, uh, you know, are, are take, taken from the discourses are um, like the froth on an ocean wave. You know, we see we see that uh, we see a wave, you know, and we know that it's just there for an instant, and and uh, and then it goes back into the ocean, and and that's. That's analogous to um, a life uh, or or any manifestation of life, a tree, a flower, a whirlpool in a river. You know, it, it comes together because of certain conditions. And it's made of the river. It's not made of different elements than the river. It is the river. And so and so we are. Uh, the coming together of earth elements uh, or elements of of our world. Uh, sometimes uh, they're talked about as four, four or five elements, earth, air, water, fire, space. So, so we, we cling to 
um, that which cannot be clung to. Um, it's like reaching into a river and trying to grasp the river. Uh, it's, it's a current. It's a flow. Um, so, um, you know, we see that in relationships. It's, it's really hard to have a relationship that lasts, isn't it? You know, like, it, like, we have to be, sometimes people change, and sometimes we change. And, um, and the, you know, to the, that which was holding us together in relationship just, you know, falls apart. Um, sometimes we're changing, and, and the other person can't change with us. And, and that's, uh, so that creates a lot of sadness and sense of loss and, and stress. It's, but it's, it's understandable. It takes, it takes huge commitment to have an enduring relationship. Um, acceptance of the, how other, the other is changing, acceptance of the con- changing conditions of our lives, and I'm not just talking about, you know, a couple. I'm talking about friendships and um, relationships between parents and children, um, and uh, um, all kinds of different relationships that we we want them to endure because they give us a sense of stability, and 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 you know, there's a joy in uh, in having a a long-term relationship with somebody, somebody who knows your journey. Um, and it, it really does take commitment to... Um, and even when there's commitment, sometimes uh, the just whatever's changing and whatever forces there are acting on the relationship just pull it apart. So, so it's... Um, that can be... Uh, that can be a source of suffering when we're trying to hold on to it, when we feel that there's something wrong or bad, that, that um, <coughs> the relationship didn't endure. Or when we, especially when we, when we blame ourselves or, or blame the other. So, so that's so we can see how, um, in so many ways, impermanence is linked to dukkha. Um, these uh, these three Pali words. I mean, I'm, I, I I've named some Pali words, but these these three are particularly helpful, I think, to remember because anicca, dukkha, anatta. They they kind of the 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 English words just don't um, uh, kind of encompass the breadth and the depth of of these a, as we explore them and come to understand what they mean in our own experience. Dukkha, especially, I think, um, points to a, a a whole spectrum of experience that is. Um, 
as I was just describing, comes out of trying to hold on to what can't be held on to, but it also comes out of the vicissitudes of life, that, that, um, that life really can be uh, terribly painful. And, and often when, you know, as Buddhists living in a relatively, and all of our lives are different, and some people have hardship and difficulty in their lives, but, but for the most part, we're not, we don't have bombs raining down on, on us. We don't have soldiers coming in and pulling our families out of the house and, and killing them. We don't have, you know, like we're not, we're not starving to death. So dukkha, like in the extreme of pain and suffering, it can be very, can be very intense. It's very hard to, um, to not suffer when, um, when you're starving or when, um, you know, there's such violence around us. And it's, you know, and, the, and, and, and the, the teachings, especially in the Tibetan tradition, the teachings around, you know, how can we practice the Dharma, um, you know, point to these extreme conditions of suffering as, as ones which make it, you know, very, very difficult to practice the Dharma. You know, when there's not, you know, any peace, when there's, you know, so much uncertainty in our lives, um, so many threats. So, um, so, you know, it's, it's really important to, I think, acknowledge and be grateful for the stability that we do have in our, in our society, in our lives, even if it's far from perfect for, you know, for some of us. Um, and we do, we do experience, you know, um, many of us experience a sense of isolation or marginalization or, or financial uh, uncertainty, a feeling of, of, uh, of scarcity perhaps, or oppression, racism, prejudice. Uh, so, so there are, even in our own society, there are, there are um, forms of suffering that, that are present around us that, that some of us may not see, may not be tuned into because you know, we're not directly affected. Um, and, I, and, and, and Buddhist teachers actually are, are really trying to grapple with this now and, and to explore you know, how can, as Buddhism takes root in the West, how can we as, as Buddhists really respond? How can, how can we bring these teachings into engagement with the real social problems uh, that we see around us, suffering that is around us? Um, how, can we, how can we make a unique contribution to, um, to the the seeking of of peace and justice in our society, which doesn't just perpetuate division, perpetuate um, blaming, perpetuate hatred. You know, can we can we come from a place of love? Can we come from a place of connection? 
Um, oh, you know, and a lot of the ways that we talk about dukkha, uh, you know, have to do with um, just the instability, the uncertainty of our lives. Um, and, of course, uh, you know, aging and illness, these are all so challenging. You know, so, and, and why are they challenging? <clears throat> it's not because there's something wrong with aging and illness and death. It's not that, you know, some, what's gone wrong here? You know, I'm getting older. there's a mistake this shouldn't be happening (laughs) or you know or I'm sick Uh, I have an illness my body is breaking down in some way not working properly we see it all around us as as Buddha Dasa says it's the way of nature and and also all things the Buddha says this again and again in the discourses, all things that come together, all composite things come apart. So, so it's our clinging, it's our wanting things to be other than how they are that creates the stress and suffering. And so, so being with things as they are is uh, is the way of wisdom and um, accepting and uh, and even embracing you know impermanence and uh, and recognizing the source of of dukkha recognizing where it comes from and then anatta is also um, part of this this uh, kind of gem, three-faceted gem, uh, or truth. So um, one of the ways that I, a, a very simple way that I like to illustrate <clears throat> um, anatta, or non-self um, again is uh, I've, I've um, been, is inspired from Thich Nhat Hanh and the way he talks about seeing with the eyes of wisdom so when we see an object you know, we think it has a, a certain existence like, you know, like we might not talk about this as a self but we see it as an object and it's, it's a, it's a, it has its you know, it's separate Existence, so we, so we, we, we. Our perception tells us, and we might say, "Well, that's the, that's the bell striker," and, and you know, we don't think of it as something that, um, is, selfless. Um, but but then when we look at it with the eyes of wisdom, you know, we can say, "Well, you know, it's made from wood," and. Um, and this wood came from a tree with its roots in the earth, drawing minerals from the earth, and, and its branches reaching toward the sun and, and taking in, you know, by photosynthesis, the energy of the sun. And so, um, so in this striker, there's, 
the sun and the earth. You know, there's also, like this, this was made according to a, um, a kind of a, a learned, there's a skill in this, you know, it's, it's a certain shape, it's a certain size, it's just the right size for your hand <coughs> to hold it. Um, the right thickness. It's uh, it has. It's made on a lathe, so it's it arises interdependently with human beings, with human skills, with human um, intelligence and ingenuity, uh, and and the capacity for humans to communicate and uh, invent things like a lathe that will make these little you know. Um, in you know places where it, it, it goes in, simple but lovely design. Um, and then we can continue looking at this striker, and we can maybe we can ask ourselves, you know, who made it? Who made it? You know, um, did it come from a faraway country? Maybe were they paid a just wage? You know, how, how much, how much did the person, how, how many of these does the person who made this have to make in a day in order to live? Um, and, and what are the conditions under which this person worked? And, and, uh, and what is the, you know, how, how are the, uh, the resources from which this is taken, the trees, how, you know, are they, are they planted sustainably? Um, and what, what's the footprint? What's the, what's the greenhouse gas footprint of this? You know, how was it, how was it, how, how many thousands of miles did it come? Um, so, so when, you know, and, 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 and then when we, when we, Look at the human component and and all of the interconnected life from which you know this this emerges. You know we can not only see the earth but we can see the whole universe because you know the minerals which are the essential essential elements in our bodies are only created in the birth of stars, and so. So we are stardust, and um, and we and this and this bell striker is is um, also part of that. So so I I can't pull this in any direction in which it's not connected to everything. You know, it's it, this is connected to everything, and so this simple object is connected to everything. And, and so are we with all our complex thoughts and understandings and beliefs and attitudes and, and per- perceptions. So, you know, our perceptions about what is, what is good, what is acceptable, what is beautiful, what is unacceptable, what is ugly, they're all received from somewhere and so um, so there's nothing that's not connected to everything else
And, um, and further, um, you know, on a, another level of teaching on what the meaning of anatta, so we have the interconnectedness of things, we have, we have the, the, the truth that, you know, if something doesn't endure through time, if it's always changing, can we say that it really has a self-existence? You know, if, like, can I really say that, that when I look at a picture of myself as, as a baby, you know, and I say, well, that was me, you know, is that really me? It's, you know, that, that none of the cells that existed in, in my body were, you know, are present in me now. There's a DNA which is, you know, continues a pattern of, of replication um, in a certain way. So there's some continuity, but, but so much is, is different. It's changed. Um, and certainly, you know, my, my understanding, my, my attitudes, my, my way of being has changed profoundly since when I was younger. So, impermanence, interdependence, and then there's another way in which we can talk about non-self. <clears throat> the world is coming into being. Life, all of life is coming into being in the mind. So mind can't be separated from its object. So, so we look around and we think we see the world. We, we think we're, we're in you know, a certain world and it has a certain kind of uh, you know, shape. And, and really, what is creating that, that world to come into being? It's, first of all, it's our sense organs. So... So we see a certain range of light. We see, you know, we see there are, there's a range of light that we don't see. So, so we're not seeing everything that's there. We hear a certain range of sound. We have capacity to, to feel certain kinds of touch. And, and certainly, when I take my dog for a walk, I know that she is in a world of smell that I will never know. <laughs> and uh, and so, her world is uh, is very different from mine. Um, so, and so, all of these experiences are coming into reality through our sense consciousness. And and our feelings are arising. Feelings are always arising with an experience. So, so like, I don't have a feeling of pleasant without a sense experience to, that it connects to. I don't have a, a feeling of unpleasant without some kind of sound or, or touch sensation that that unpleasant feeling tone is arising co-arising is the word that's 
that's used in in Buddhist teaching. So, so in this exploration of non-self, we can say that you know the world is arising in consciousness in our minds, and the mind is also the the manifestation of the world. So the subject and the object, you know, that it kind of the dualism of subject and object, you know, doesn't hold um, when we look deeply. So that's I I found that something that in my own practice um, uh, has has brought a, a deep sense of intimacy with all of life. You know that that we're we're so close that we can't be separated. Um, again, Dogen uh, said, "Enlightenment is intimacy with all things." So, so we want to separate ourselves and say, "No, that's not me." Yeah. And yet, um, in so many ways, we're interconnected. So, so these wisdom factors um, are, you know, we, we bring these, we have, we begin to see impermanence and, and, uh, and dukkha, anicca, anata, uh, dukkha, anatta, impermanence, um, unsatisfactoriness, uh, selflessness. We begin to see it in our experience, you know, as we examine our, our mental states, our, our, uh, our reactivity, you know, so, you know, anger arises and, and, and then with mindfulness, you know, we can breathe and be with it and we see that it goes, you know. We have a beautiful uh, experience. We're watching a beautiful sunset, you know, and so, you know, we, pleasure arises, enjoyment, and, and we can be present with it, breathe, and we see that that also fades away and changes. And so, so we learn these. And then, and then now we're in, this, in the progression of this discourse, we're, we're bringing it to a deeper level in which this investigation um, becomes the primary object. And, um, and the, the progression that's given in the discourse is that when we begin to deeply see um, anicca, dukkha, anatta, that we stop grasping at things. You know, we stop trying to grasp and hold on to things that we think are going to make us happy. You know, and sometimes we learn this just in our ordinary lives. Like uh, one story that um, that I tell sometimes is is that you know my, when my son was uh, was eighteen. He wanted to get a motorcycle. That was his dream, you know. He, he dreaming about it for years, and, and finally, you know, he saved money. And when he was eighteen, wasn't <laughs> mom didn't want him to do it, but he did get it. And uh, and um, and the dream became not a nightmare, but it, he he realized the dukkha of you know having 
this thing that he had to maintain and and pay for and repair and um, uh, and uh, and be careful about and protect and that doesn't get stolen. All of these things. So, you know, we learn this in our maturing to a certain extent. At least many of us do, not everyone. <laughs> but uh, but um, uh, but with this, you know, deep practice, we we really. There's really this fading away, the, the, um, the grasping, the, the pushing away, the, the, the craving, the, um, the blaming, all of these, the jealousy, all of these uh, kind of suffering states of mind begin to fade away because, uh, you know, we just, we, we see through them. We see they're impermanent, we see the suffering of them, and we see that they're coming from a sense of self, which is, you know, just, um, uh, it's a misperception. So fading away. And cessation is just that, um, that, Kind of that we're we're really just fully present in our lives. We're not we're not kind of always leaning into the next experience. Not we're not always uh, leaning into the next thing we can get or or um, or avoid. Um, sometimes the word uh, suchness is used. That things are just as they are. And we see them in in their beauty, in their perfection, even you know as as I was um, doing in the guiding guided meditation, even in all you know the warts and all you know even even in all the impermanence, the falling apartness the uh, um, maybe the uh, the ways that if we were getting into preference, we would prefer that they not be. But but there's a just a, a presence with everything as it is. Um, uh, suchness or thusness is sometimes called. And then the final one is relinquishment, focusing on relinquishment. I breathe in, and I. Um, the way Buddha Dasa talks about this relinquishment, uh, I really, I really like because he says that if you translate it, if you translate it, kind of more literally, it really means tossing back, tossing back. So he's saying, you know, we had this idea that there was somehow this me and mine, you know, me and mine. And, and we try to hold on to things and hold on to this body and, and this, these, all these ideas about self. And, and then when we realize it's all part of nature, it's, it, it all belongs to nature, it's not me or mine, you know, we kind of, okay, toss it back. You know? I can't hold it. I remember when I first... Um, went on a, 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 a Vipassana retreat 
at the Insight Meditation Society. Um, it was it was my first retreat um, back there back in the nineties, and um, I uh, I heard Joseph Goldstein give a talk, and he was talking about his um, the time that he spent practicing in India, and and he told this little story about a radio that he had brought with him. Um, and he was, you know, kind of listening to the radio and, you know, wanting to stay a little bit in touch with the world back and, um, you know, listening to the news and that kind of thing. And then uh, one day he, you know, he put it somewhere and he wasn't paying attention and, you know, it was gone. Like India, right? You know, it's, um, it's that's the way it is. And he said, and I was really upset. He said, because... I thought it was mine. <laughs> and it took me a while to understand that. But then, well, yeah, it was yours. But, uh, but then I got it. I got it. Yeah. So, so, so what I, you know, what we have here is a map, and we're all practicing, you know, in different places where we are. We all have the conditions of our lives. Some are very demanding, some are very difficult. Conditions of our, our families, our, our own bodies, our, our work, uh, the place that we live, you know, so many different conditions that we're working with. And, and so it's not that you know, we we need to always be in this exalted place of seeing, you know, from from uh, you know a place of perfect wisdom that that this is um, that this is a permanent. This is this is selfless, and you know, like it's 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 suffering to try to grasp it. But it's it, more and more, you know, we can we can connect with these teachings, and even just coming back to the breath. And finding our home in the body, and and resting, finding some, a little bit of space, a little calmness, noticing that when you know a mental state arises, if we don't, if we don't get hooked into it, you know, it it, it will it will pass, it will pass away, and 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 gradually wisdom deepens and. Um, and uh, and the Dharma, the, the Dharma takes, kind of, uh, carries us, carries us to uh, a deeper awareness, a deeper way of being. A more, as Buddha Dasa says, a, a way of being which is aligned with the truth of, of life, the truth of nature. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.